All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 42 of the Still Study Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Ritz. Super grateful and appreciative and excited because today, Alex Kazor of the Steelers Depot, the best Steelers website out there, is joining us again. This is Alex. Alex's third time on the show, and welcome. It's good to have you back on. Great to be back. Thanks, Jeremy, so much. So I know we were talking before we got on here, but uh, you were watching some some of the Pirates game earlier. Watching's a word for it. Covering my eyes and and, and shame and depression's another way to describe this season. Yeah, nine nothing for the Pirates. Their worst opening day loss since 1922. Also against the Cardinals. Also by nine runs. So a little bit of sad history there to get you started on today's podcast. Wow. And we uh, we promise we won't be as uh, depressing as that <laughs> stat line there for, for the Pirates game. Uh, but again, we're, we're super grateful to have Alex on. If you haven't checked out his work yet on SteelersDepot.com, do yourself a favor. Go do that right now. Pause this podcast if you're watching the YouTube or listening uh, to, to us, uh, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Alex is the guy when it comes to Steelers news. So we're going to get into a lot today. We're going to talk about the Steelers work, this free agency. Um, We're going to get into the 2022 NFL quarterback uh, prospects and why this class continually is labeled as average. Um, Alex recently released his top five QB prospect rankings. So we'll get into that a bit as well. And then we'll close up by talking about um, Alex's most recent mock draft, 2.0. I believe that was from March 21st. Um, But again, listeners, you're in for a treat uh, today. And and Alex, we'll jump right in here. Uh, The Steelers started out on fire in free agency. It was unprecedented. I don't ever remember uh, the team being as active as they were that those first few days there. And let's start with the offensive line with the additions of Mason Cole and James Daniels. How do you see this offensive line being reconfigured? Because they do have some pieces now. And there's been a lot of speculation in terms of, you know, is Daniels going to be at right guard? Is Mason Cole going to be at center? Will they try him at guard? Kendrick Green, are they going to give him an opportunity at guard? But how do you see these new pieces fitting in? And then maybe what does this configuration look like come opening day? Yeah, in terms of where they'll line up, that's still unknown. Uh, I've been speaking to the media, James Daniels, Mason Cole, and the Steelers themselves, you know, Tomlin Colbert have not committed to how that starting five is going to look. I have a guess of how I think it's going to go. I think it'll be Dan Moore at left tackle, uh, Kevin Dotson at left guard, Mason Cole at center, James Daniels at right guard, and Chuck Wumar for at right tackle. But we're a long ways away from being able to to need to answer those questions. And of course, injuries and other factors this summer can, can play a role. I just appreciate the Steelers more aggressive nature and trying to fix this offensive line, as opposed to, you know, the, the cheap veteran signing the draft picks that are going to have their predictable growing pains. You get a really talented guy in James Daniels, who to me, Jeremy immediately becomes the best offensive lineman of that front five, a pretty low bar to clear, I suppose, but still <laughs> Daniel's a really good player in his own right the top player. I wanted Pittsburgh to go after. He's athletic. He's young. He's 24, 25 years old. Um, he's experienced. He's played his best football last year. He is versatile. He's played all three spots, left guard, right guard was primarily a center at Iowa. So he can play there as well. Um, just a really strong, powerful athletic guy is going to work well in his own scheme, even in a power scheme get to the second level, um, and just, again, becomes your your best guy. Mason Cole, I think, brings some stability in the interior. Again, a versatile guy. 
primarily a center, but has played uh, both guard spots as well in a, in a good run blocker overall. So look at the offensive line. Dan Moore, his second year, he played a lot better the second half of last year than the first half of last year. Kevin Dotson, a big third year for him, but hopefully a good one for him. Um, and then even Kendrick Green, who certainly struggled mightily last year, there should be some progression in his second year as he gets yeah. more comfortable. Pittsburgh certainly threw him into the fire last year to not, in my opinion, put him in a really good position to succeed. Um, you would hope and expect some better results to what degree we'll see. And certainly, could he play left guard? That that door may be opened as well. But just overall, a more talented front five, a more experienced front five, um, just the more stable front five in general. You know, in camp last year, um, he signed Trey Turner late. You know, in camp, he had a core four miss the start of camp. Dodson missed the start of camp. He had a lot of injuries there. What was going to happen with Zach Banner? You didn't know if he was going to play or not. So hopefully, it's just a more, it's a calmer, more stable, and ultimately a better unit in 2022. Yeah. And Something else that I wanted to bring up with you is they re-sign a core for three-year deal. I believe he's only 24. I don't even think he's turned 25 mm-hmm. yet. Do you think that he has an opportunity to still continue to get better, or do you think that he's peaked out in terms of what his talent's going to be at the tackle right tackle position? Well, I don't want to say that he's maxed out because you're right. He's 24 years old. He's played a good amount of football, but he's not a you know 10-year guy. I think there's some technical things he can work on. I think he tries to overset sometimes and he'll get beat to the inside. So maybe you just work on, on your sets under new offensive line coach, Pat Meyer. But I will say, I think he's pretty close to maxed out. I don't see any physical trait that's going to get a whole lot better in terms of him being bigger, stronger. He kind of is what he is for the most part at this point. So I wasn't super enthralled by the signing, but I recognize there really weren't any other free agent tackles to go after and doing so would also be pricey. And though the draft does have some attractive options, of course, quarterback's going to be a big area to look at in the first round this year. So I understood them wanting to bring back a core force so they wouldn't have to get a new potential starting center, right guard and right tackle and kind of redo the whole thing like they did last year. And it's also kind of a pay-as-you-go deal the way it's structured. So the deal looks big, three years, almost $30 million. But essentially, it's a one-year deal with roster bonuses in the second and third year. So if he does not play well this year, you could cut him and and not be out that much money. So it's actually structured pretty favorably for the team. Right. And do you think with all the moves that they've made, free agency and re-signing core forward, do you think that that keeps them from drafting a guy in, let's say, the first three rounds on the offensive line? Are they looking for more of a depth piece? in rounds four through seven, or do you think that they stay away from offensive line completely in the draft? I would lean more heavily towards a day three pick that may not draft one. They only have, you know, I think seven picks this year as things stand right now and a lot of other needs to fill. Um, I don't like to rule a lot of things out in the draft because you never know how it's going to go, but based on the aggressive moves in free agency where they've been in terms of pro day visits, it'd be surprising to see an offensive lineman in the first round Probably in the second round, maybe third, fourth round is where that conversation starts, but that just depends on how the draft goes, what other needs you address, what happens in free agency prior to the draft and things like that. So I think it's going to be more of a depth kind of thing, maybe a depth guard, maybe a depth tackle. I wouldn't expect it to be a super high pick this year. Got it. So moving on to the defensive side of the football, some nice additions there with Levi Wallace coming over from Buffalo. Miles Jack at the inside backer position, which was a surprise to me. I didn't think they'd be able to get that done, but they did. It was, I think, two years, $16 million. Mm-hmm. Then Akella Witherspoon was resigned. What are the value of these players uh, joining the team? I know Witherspoon is coming back. Um, do you see Witherspoon is taking over that starting role for Hayden? Uh, what do you see is Wallace's role in this defense? And do you think that Jack can maybe help 
Devin Bush stabilize and overcome a poor season in 21? Yeah, with uh, Witherspoon and Wallace, I'm not positive how it's going to go, but I won't complain about too much corner depth because you can never have too many good corners in the NFL uh, just based on injury as Pittsburgh saw last year and just how many great receivers there are in football. Personally, I would, I've been telling this team to play Cam Sutton in the slot since camp last year. They've kind of been very resistant to do so because they want that Mike Hilton type of guy in the slots. Why you saw Arthur Millett play a lot in the slot on rundowns last year. They want that physical run presence, blitzing presence, Sutton, not quite that guy. So I could see potentially, you know, Wallace at left corner with a spoon right corner or vice versa. And then Sutton more in the slot. Also, Trey Norwood had a great rookie season and certainly I think deserves an expanded role uh, his sophomore year. So I don't know exactly which way this thing's going to go, but I just know those talented players there and, and just good depth. That's going to be important overall. In terms of Miles Jack, it's a quality signing on its own. Um, I don't know how much it's going to affect Devin Bush in a positive way. Devin Bush just has to play better, get another year removed from that ACL injury, uh, health, hopefully a healthier and better defense line is going to help him out, the coaching of you know Terrell Austin, Brian Flores, uh, then just Bush's own play. So I don't know if Jack's presence alone does much for Bush, but there were at least some outside reasons to believe Bush will be in a better place in 2022. Right. And if you look at the defensive side of the football, it seems like at every position they're set at, uh, at starters. Um, but when you look at the strong safety position, they still have work to do there. Uh, the word is that there is an offer on the table for Edmonds, but that he hasn't um, made a decision on that. There's all the speculation on the honey badger uh, wanting to play for Mike Tomlin. We heard confirmation that he did, in fact, speak with Tomlin. Um, but the longer this goes out, uh, as you pointed out on Twitter, I believe it was uh, maybe toward the end of last week or early this week that they're mm-hmm. looking at a player in rounds two, uh, between two and four, who could be the starting strong safety for this team. If you could talk about that strong safety position, maybe how you see this playing out in these next few weeks leading up to the draft. Yeah, obviously there's the reports about Tyron Matthew, and at some point by the time people listen to this, we'll know where he's going. He's kind of the domino to fall. Pittsburgh's shown some interest. Will it happen? We'll just have to wait and see. If not, then I think you just try to bring back Terrell Edmonds, assuming he's open to the idea of coming back at a reasonable price. Even if the Steelers offer us to increase by 500000 or something, I think you're willing to do that because you know who he is and as a a decent compliment to Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, in terms of the draft, I mean, I don't know where they're going to draft somebody. They probably will unless they do sign a Tyron Matthew. But the draft to me has really got a lot of quality safeties this year. I think two through four is a sweet spot. But if, if Matthew's not the guy, round one's a possibility as well, whether you're talking Dax Hill from Michigan, Lewis Sign from Georgia, even if, and it's a big if, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame falls to pick 20. Um, but then, you know, Jaquan Brisker round two from Penn State, that's an option. Jalen Petre from Baylor, maybe round two, but I think he's going to be an early day two kind of guy. Uh, there's a lot of quality athleticism and, and physical hitters and just a really strong safety class overall. So I think certainly Pittsburgh, if they don't get the big prize in Matthew, they can probably re-sign Edmonds for two years for, I don't know, Four million per year, so two million eight years, probably similar to what Witherspoon and Wallace got, and then go draft somebody probably on day two, but again, potentially on day one, if say the quarterbacks are off the board. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if they could somehow find a way to land Matthew, I mean, just imagining him paired with Mika Fitzpatrick yeah. in terms of just being a ball hawking secondary, uh, there's definitely a lot to be excited about that. But the reality of that happening seems too good to be true. 
I think it's probably more realistic that Edmonds would come back uh, on a cheap deal. Like you said, the only thing that I wonder about there is if he is miffed that he wasn't, his 50 year option wasn't picked up or sure. the contract they offered him was a bit too low, but sure. I'm but sure. I will say, I mean, he's no one's first choice. He's still out there. So whatever team right. signs him probably wasn't their first option, but, but that's a good point because maybe he doesn't want to come back. It takes two, two to tango. So I don't want to assume, but if he wants to come back, I, I'd make it happen. But I, I thought he played well. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't exemplary last season, but I felt like he had his best year as a Steeler and just that continuity, him playing alongside Fitzpatrick. I think there's value yeah. in just knowing the defense, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that'll be wrapped up here pretty soon. And then the last thing that I'd like to hit on uh, with free agency, if you look at the wide receiver room right now, it's pretty thin. We know the, the um, effectiveness this team has in drafting wide receivers, but right now you have Deontay, uh, and Chase Claypool, you really don't have any veteran leadership. Do you think it's likely likely they still bring a guy in to stabilize that room, or do you think they'll just go purely in the draft? They'll bring in, they'll draft two receivers and just go with a youth movement. There's certainly value in bringing in another veteran receiver and, and having that leadership, as you mentioned, is critical because you're not sure really on this offense in general who are the leaders. It's hard to really say. But in terms of who's actually available in free agency to sign, it's a pretty thin list of names. Now, Jarvis Landry, to me, would be a good fit, but his price tag might be too high. I'm not sure where he wants to go and and all those things. And if it's not him, then I'm not really sure who you bring in. I mean, Adam Humphreys is a possibility, maybe. I think Cole, former Jaguar, could potentially be a name, but there really aren't a strong list of candidates. So the draft certainly... They're going to draft a receiver. That's the one lock you can make this year. Now, who it's going to be and where it's going to be, those are much more open questions. It'll probably be more round one, round two, or three, where you'll see a receiver come in. It's a quality class. It's a deep class receiver year by year because of the college game and the spread system and the big play passing offenses are producing a record number of talented wide receivers. So um, I, you're definitely going to see them draft a receiver, at least one, maybe two, but probably at least one guy in the top three rounds. Great. And then really the the probably what will be the bulk of our conversation here, uh, the Steelers have made no secrets about their interest in this quarterback class, attending all the pro days, uh, Tomlin at dinner uh, with Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter. As far as we know, we don't know if, uh, if there were, were more uh, dining out <laughs> with players, uh, but they're definitely doing their homework here. And there's a lot to unpack around this class. I know that uh, earlier this week you put out your uh, quarterback rankings, the top five uh, out of these prospects. And if you haven't read that, please check that out, listeners. And I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. And we'll, we'll get to those rankings. But one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, Alex, just with your um, all, all the film study you do, this group of quarterbacks can continually has been labeled as average um, and, and really, that's the pervasive thought around this group. Uh, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, uh, Ritter, Sam Howell, um, and I'm leaving out Matt Crow here. But what is it, if we somehow can quantify it or put it in concrete, tangible form, what are those elements of this group that causes the scouts or the analysts to say, yeah, this group is just average? What is it that makes a Desmond Ritter or a Malik Willis or a Kenny Pickett lesser value than a player like Zach Wilson last year mm -hmm. or Trey Lance. So just interested in what your take is on uh, how this class is being assessed. 
Yeah, it's a really good question, Jeremy. I don't know if I have a concrete answer of why this class on the whole is is you know lesser compared to the others, other than it's just not as talented. Um, and that's a that's why they pay me the big bucks to, to give you answers like that. Uh, I, I'd probably say a couple things. One, you didn't have that Trevor Lawrence, that dude that since he was a freshman was like the guy, and you just knew like that's going to be the guy. He's going to be a top pick whenever he declares. Kind of similar to the way the feel is with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, who are going to be likely part of next year's class. Two, I would say some guys came on scene late, whether that's Kenny Pickett, who had a big breakout year this past year. Malik Willis kind of had that great second year at Liberty and, you know, put himself on the map even more. Um, Desmond Ritter's come on strong the last two years, you know, things like that. I would say some guys had down years in 2021, Matt Corral. I don't get a down year, but battled a couple severe ankle injuries. Sam Howell didn't have as quality of a 2021 season as opposed to 2020. He loses his top receivers, both his running backs, uh, with Javante Williams and Michael Carter. Um, So that hurt him. And then, I wonder, I don't know if this is true. I'm just kind of talking out loud. I wonder if the fact that there really isn't a lot of need at the top of this quarterback class has kind of quieted the conversation as well. You got Jacksonville at one. They got their guy in Lawrence. Two, Detroit could use a quarterback, but they got a bunch of other needs as well. You got the Jets picking top five. They also took a quarterback last year in Zach Wilson. So maybe just there's less of a conversation, less urgency about it because it's unusual that you see some of the top five teams not needing a quarterback as badly as they usually do. You know, the teams that pick in the top five. Yeah. That's an interesting take. I never really thought about that. And looking at Detroit at number two and some of the teams ahead of the Steelers that potentially could grab a quarterback, Houston, maybe Atlanta, Seattle. Um, and, and looking at your top, top five rankings. Um, I think you had Willis, number one, Corral, two, was Pickett three? No, Howell was three. Howell was three, Pickett four, Ritter five. Mm-hmm. You just want to talk through, um, it would just be interesting to hear your assessment of the players. Um, and I guess the the ultimate question after you walk through that is, if any of those five are there at 20, would you be comfortable in taking any of those guys and them being the quarterback of the future of the Steelers? Well, to answer that second question first, because it's it's briefer, I have two first-round grades on quarterbacks this year. That's Malik Willis, my number one quarterback, and Matt Corral, uh, my number two quarterback. Sam Howell got an early second-round grade for me. So I'd be most comfortable, of course, with Willis or Corral. Um, in terms of the rankings themselves, just kind of go through them briefly and check out the article on Steelers Depot because I have a much more thorough explanation of kind of the pros and cons on those guys. Willis, number one. You know, when it comes to quarterback, Jeremy, you got to bet big. You got to bet on trades and, and you're, you're taking a risk no matter who you take. Even if you think a guy's safe, he's not safe. He's a risk. He's an unknown. He's a gamble. You, you might as well bet big. And Willis certainly has the most upside of any quarterback in this class. To me, that's almost inarguable. Um, and he has the ability to make plays with his arms, with his legs that no other quarterback in this class can make. Again, to, to that statement is, is inarguable as well. Now he needs to sit for a year. He's a raw guy. I don't have to learn NFL offense, those kinds of things, work on lower body mechanics and things like that. Um, but the arm talent, the ability to make those off-platform throws, he can do things he, the top quarterbacks in football are capable of doing. And to me, that's that's important when you're an AFC that is full of the best quarterbacks in football. Matt Corral, to me, underrated name in this class. His quick release, his overall accuracy, his, his placement on short and intermediate routes is excellent. Um, ability to kind of lead receivers and create 
you know, whack throws, run after catch throws because he's putting the ball on the money consistently. I love his toughness. I mean, this guy battled through some crazy ankle injuries this year, gets carted off in the Auburn game, come back, comes back and plays and, you know, didn't always have a great season, but uh, in great performances, but this guy battled, he's a good leader. He's tough. And to me, toughness is such an important trait for a quarterback. I don't want to say, I'll put it this way to be a great quarterback. How do I want to put this? Um, just because you're tough does not mean you'll be a great quarterback. But to be a great quarterback, to me, you have to be tough because you're going to get shots, you're going to get beat up, you're going to get hit. You better be, you know, be able to rally and be the face and that leader for the team. You set the tone. To me, Corral is a really good leader overall. Uh, doesn't have the elite, elite physical tools and kind of played in the more shorter RPO based offense. So there's a little bit of projection there. But to me, accuracy, accuracy and toughness are important traits, and Corral has both of them. Powell three, good arm, mobile, tough dude. Had a really strong 2020 season. Don't see any major flaws in this game, but maybe not any super elite traits in this game either. But underrated name in this class because this guy had a really strong 2020 season, kind of put the team on his back this past year. Pick at four. I know that's slower than where most people uh, put him. He is probably the quote-unquote most pro-ready type of quarterback in this class. He's a smart guy overall. Um, I was just worried about the lack of the elite physical tools, uh, more pocket presence issues than, than people think he likes to drift and get too much depth and kind of run himself into pressure. And then the ball carriage issues. Now with the hand size, you know, that's an issue, eight and a half inch hands. But to me, that's not the big issue. It's the carriage of the football with the ball you know, drops down on his hip. It swings. That's what led to a lot of his fumbles in college. Last one, Desmond Ritter. I love the kid. We'll never have to buy a beer in Cincinnati again for what he did for that Bearcats program. Like super impressive four-year guy, totally turned around that Bearcats program overall. Um, and it, you know, kind of worked in a more NFL style offense, but I just didn't see enough accuracy in his game. I thought he was too inconsistent for being a four-year starter. And while his physical tours aren't bad, they aren't super elite either. So you combine to me, average to maybe slightly above average physical tools with spotty accuracy for a four-year guy who should be a more finished product than he is. To me, that's what kind of put Ritter in that number five spot for me. Great. That's, that's great analysis. So just to kind of d- dig into that a little bit. So Ritter, I think I, was, I was, was talking to you on Twitter before we got on here. He's he's a guy that I really love. And um, from from the tape that I've and I probably watch more tape on him than I have uh, the other four here. But he I, I labeled him the technician. Um, he mm-hmm. just he looks like he is uh, a heady player, like he's fundamental in his his drops, uh, his rollouts, his play action looks um, just fluid. It, it looks natural. Um, so I guess my question in terms of, you know, that, and that's a great point. I haven't heard that um, so far this offseason talking about over a four year period, you'd want to see a, a more finished product. Do you see the ability for Ritter to improve and maybe grow in those areas. The accuracy has been a concern and some of the, um, you know, the critiques of his play, but do you think that, that he's a guy who can improve and grow and become a QB one? Yeah, I think all these guys have potential. I don't want to say that there's no chance or no path. If he kind of fixes some of those things, gets with a really good quarterback coach, but accuracy overall, it's tough to make a quarterback that's less accurate, more accurate. It has happened. Josh Allen underwent a really big transformation, but sometimes those mechanical stuff, because it's so ingrained, because he's been doing this for four years, those are kind of maybe bad habits that are going to be tough for that guy to break. So I, I get the allure, like the leadership, 
uh, I think he's another tough guy. He's got a daughter. He's got a lot to play for. Really mature guy. Great for the program. I mean, again, the Bearcats, the year before he got there, they won four games. His first year, they win 11. They compete with Georgia. They win college football playoffs. Like, I get all that stuff. But I think it's going to be one of those cases of a guy with a really good college career that does not translate to a really good NFL career. Okay, interesting. Um, Let's talk about Sam Howell a little bit. I know that he has uh, quite the arm. He's uh, effective throwing the ball down the field, the deep passing attack. How do you see that translating over into the NFL game? Um, I know that he lost a lot of weapons in 2021. um, And I think I heard Dave talk about on one of the terrible podcasts that, uh, you know, early on, Kevin Colbert, there was, it was rumored that Kevin Colbert was interested in Howell. And I think Dave said that he thinks that might be Colbert's guy. Um, is, is that a possibility? And what do you see as Howell's ceiling being in the NFL? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I mean, I know that Colbert has been in North Carolina throughout the fall a couple of times, and I'm sure that wasn't the only place he went to, but it felt like he made a couple of stops there. And I could see the allure of Howell kind of being the tough guy, the big arm, Good kid overall. I can just kind of see Kevin Colbert liking that kind of guy. Um, he has the potential to be a starter to me. Again, I think about, you know, what's the big negative with Sam Howell? To me, there isn't really one giant negative trait that sticks out. I think if the accuracy could use a little bit of work. He's not ultra accurate. I think he will have to learn to keep his eyes downfield. He wanted to run a ton last year. He just took off and run with that first, first read wasn't there. And that's probably because of the, the lack of weapons that, that that he had because he lost those guys to the draft in 2020. I think he just has to learn to pick his spots and, you know, be a little less aggressive. I compared him, and this is going to sound harsher than it's supposed to be, but I compared him to Jake Locker from Washington a couple of years back or a decade ago, eighth overall pick by the Titans, because he was a fearless dude who wanted to seek out contact every time, and his body simply could not handle it. Very few guys can handle that kind of consistent contact in the NFL. Now, Howell didn't have the big injury issues in college the way that Locker did, but I'm just worried about his play style. That'll have to get tweaked and, and addressed a little bit. But the physical tools are there. He's a mobile guy. Um, and I, the last thing on him, and this is a little controversial, you know, I don't need my quarterbacks to be super, you know, rah-rah and, and, and super fiery guys. I know he gets compared to Baker all the time, which I don't think is a great comp, mostly because their personalities could not be different. Baker was like literal plant the flag on the field kind of dude. How was super quiet, super reserved, and maybe a little too reserved for me. I like my quarterbacks to have some fire, some energy, because they are the leader, they are the face. So I understand leadership styles are different, and you can't force someone to become someone they're not. But I do worry about that leadership style a little bit because he's a very quiet kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then let's go. I'm going to jump over Corral uh, and Pickett and and talk about Malik Willis a bit because in your and this will kind of segue into your most recent mock draft, and then we'll we'll wrap up here. Um, but in in your mock draft 2.0, you had Malik Willis's uh, your your number one guy at pick 20. Um, I know that uh, in in Dave's only mock draft that he's done so far, he had the team trading up to number five overall. I guess as you sit here. Today, do you see that if this team really does want Willis, that they're going to have to move up to get him? Or could you see a scenario in which he falls to pick 20? I put it about 90%. He'll be off the board before 20 in this crazy class. I don't want to say anything's 100%, but I think odds are strong, very strong that he'll be off the board in that top 19. So I know my mock had him at 20, but I wrote, you know, probably have to trade up to get him. I think Pittsburgh would be willing to do that, but 
course, they're doing their homework on a lot of other quarterbacks. Maybe they stay. You know, maybe they try to go up, and it just doesn't happen for whatever reason. Who knows what will happen on draft day? It's entirely unpredictable. But, yeah, I think, again, you bet big. You bet on trades. You bet on um, what he could be. I know it's a risk, but every quarterback's a projection. Every draft pick's a projection. It's about where you're going, not just where you're at. I think especially for Willis and Pittsburgh, man, Jeremy, what a great fit Malik Willis would be in Pittsburgh. He's going to be guaranteed to sit for a year if he needs to behind Trubisky. It's a stable situation. Head coach isn't going anywhere. A great quarterback's coach from Mike Sullivan, a very disciplined, mechanics-based guy. Um, that would be an ideal fit. Malik Willis coming to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. Sign me up. I mean, I've been, <laughs> I've been all off season. I've, I've been talking about the importance of if there's a quarterback and this has been the, the caveat here, if there's a quarterback that they love, that they believe in can be that guy, then you do it. You pull the trigger because it's not somebody who you're expecting to come in and start year one. You're going to have right. Trubisky or you're going to have Rudolph, which <laughs> I, I can't wait to see how that all plays out. Uh, but if it is Willis and the price isn't too steep, um, you know, why not? Uh, and I, I almost feel like they have, there's probably a few guys in this top five that they're in love with. Um, but I, I just can't wait for the 28th to get here just to see what happens. They'll probably blow us all away and select somebody. <laughs> Right. We had no clue they were going to go after. Um, and then Alex, just talking about the, the rest of your, your mock draft, I'm sure that, you know, you probably have another iteration in the works here. Um, but round two, you, you go wide receiver, uh, George Pickens, Pickens out of Georgia. Um, and then round three, Nick Cross safety out of Maryland. I'm just going to kind of do an overview of your picks mm-hmm. here. Thayer Munford, round four, tackle out of Ohio State. I think he uh, can also play guard as well. Uh, Hassan Haskins, running back out of Michigan, which I saw today on the depot that uh, the Steelers recently had dinner with him, I think. Yeah, I think it was his pro day. They probably had dinner with him at this Michigan pro day. Not entirely confirmed, but that seems to be what that was. Okay. And then your your two seventh-round picks, Jack Jones, cornerback out of Arizona State, and then I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Co-Keefed tight end out of Minnesota. Of yeah, I think you got it. Yeah, you got it. So if you just want to just talk through your, your picks there and just let the listeners know, you know, your rationale behind those selections and have you mm-hmm. changed it all a bit in your draft strategy uh, based on where this team is at today? Yeah, I'm sure some of that's going to change because that was before some of the pro days, the back half of the pro days, a lot of the pre-draft visits, and those things are very big for Pittsburgh. But um, just to kind of walk through those things briefly, pick in second round, could be a first-round guy, but again, a lot of receivers in this class. The 20 CLE came off a little you know, year and a half ago, whenever it was, very limited him greatly in 2021, may cause him to fall, but a physical dude, ran well to combine, did show he was healthy. Pittsburgh at his pro day with Tomlin Colbert, my receivers coach, Frisman Jackson, kind of physical dude. I don't know if he's like Juju, but kind of similar mentality to Juju in Pittsburgh. I think he would hold that in high regards. Uh, Nick Cross, round three, athletic safety. Pittsburgh loves their athletic safeties, whether it's, you know, Terrell Edmonds, and that's a great case of that. Um, Maryland program, Pittsburgh, pretty has pretty good you know, connections and relationship to, to the Terps. And again, safety just being a need, especially without, you know, any knowledge of who their strong safety is going to be. There's no sign of veteran, but I'm not sure who that's going to be. And so I think, yeah, that, that athletic safety, that's going to be important. Uh, Munford in round four. 
you know, I watched more of his tape since that mock draft. He's going to be a guard in the NFL. Um, he played tackle, played more left guard last year. Um, really good run blocker, unlocks his hips, you know, gets a good drive block and at the first level and stuff like that, but um, did not test well. His tape as an athlete's pretty poor. He's got to be more explosive and quicker off the ball, but he'll be guard at the NFL level, but has the good size and anchor and kind of aggressive pass set mentality that new offensive line coach Pat Meyer is going to like. Uh, Son Haskins from Michigan. Started his career as a linebacker and still plays like a linebacker, even though he's a running back now. Uh, but to me, maybe the best pass-protecting back in this draft is Hassan Haskins. So he's big guy, 6'1", 228, I think. Pittsburgh likes their backs big. They like him from the power of five. They like guys that handle the load he did at Michigan last year. Um, and then the what last two picks, Jack Jones from Arizona State. Um, kind of undersized slot corner, um, twitchy, good combine workout. And then Koki from Minnesota, uh, combine snub, caught, I think, 12 passes with Minnesota's whole career. So like a, just a big, like a, like a tackle kind of tight end. That's a really good run blocker. Um, just cause you know, if something happened to Zach Gentry. So the value of him last year was number two tight end is like kind of almost six offensive linemen, um, but has a little bit of, uh, at, you know, a little bit of, a, of an asset in the passing game to me, go keep just kind of a low floor, good quality, number two, number three blocker. And, and listeners, I'll have that, uh, the mock draft 2.0 from, from Alex linked in the show notes. So check that out over on the depot. And then Alex, just two players that I wanted to get your takes on here um, before we wrap up. The first being Christian Watson, the wide receiver out of North Dakota State. Um, he, he's a guy who has all, all the physical tools. He's got the speed, played at a small school, didn't have, um, didn't play against great competition. Do you think he would be a possibility in the second round for this team? It's a possibility, but the small schoolness is going to work against them because you don't see Pittsburgh go in the FCS level too often, especially that early in the draft. Not saying it can't happen. I mean, it has happened with guys like Javon Hargrave in the third round before, uh, but they generally like those guys to be more productive overall in terms of volume of catches. Watson was kind of a feast famine guy that played in the run heavy North Dakota State offense. The thing with him, though, is he had a really strong senior bowl campaign. So when you go down the mobile or playing against power five guys, you know, FBS guys, you need to perform well. That's going to help, I think, ease the projection and um, just, you know, prediction of how well that guy might play in the NFL. But height, weight, speed guy, uh, similar to Claypool, um, that's possible. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's certainly possible. And then was there another another, another name you mentioned or was it just Watson? Just the, uh, Watson okay. was the first one. That, and then I have two names I lied. It wasn't okay. just one. Sure. But I know you talked earlier about you can't have too much cornerback depth. And uh, two players I like at the position, Marcus Jones out of Houston, who probably projects more as a Mike Hilton type player. But then also Zion McCollum. I don't know how, um, if you sp- spent any time doing any fil- film mm-hmm. study on these guys. And does the signing of Wallace maybe prevent them from selecting a cornerback? Do you think there's any possibility these two players are considered when the Steelers draft in the later rounds? No, I don't think it discounts the possibility of them selecting a quarterback really at all in the draft. I mean, maybe not super early, but that's that's even possible possible as well. And Andrew Booth in the first round from Clemson, not going to rule that out either. Uh, yeah, Marcus Jones coming in for a pre-draft visit. So Pittsburgh clearly has interest there. And, you know, usually there's a pretty strong correlation between their pre-draft visit list and who they end up taking. Usually two or three, two or three of those guys came in for visits. Now, Jones got some medical issues. Maybe they wanted to bring, uh, wanted to bring him in for that. He had uh, surgeries on both shoulders this year. And so he's not been able to work out in the pre-draft process, but really athletic guy, tough guy. 5'8", a buck 80, but I mean, this guy was a great cornerback, made some unbelievable catches, great return guy, even caught 10 passes last year for the for the Cougars. So um, really unique, athletic, fun to watch kind of dude. 
Yeah, I know about McCollum. Our Owen Australia has a great report up on him on Seagulls Depot. So check out that report. Uh, Sam Houston State Kids, Senior Bowl, you know, big guy, tested really well. There's so many small school corners that have tested off the charts this year, and McCollum's one of those guys. I know he tested really well overall. He's a pretty big dude. I still think I'd probably move him to safety. I don't think he has the hips to really turn and run um, at corner. Just a little too big, but I can see him being one of those classic cornerback to free safety conversion type of guys. But yeah, an option, probably going to be a mid-day three kind of guy, fourth, fifth round. Got it. Great stuff. Awesome. Well, Alex, we appreciate your time so much here. It's always uh, a treat for me when I get to talk to you because I have all these questions. I'm like, oh, I can't <laughs> wait to ask Alex, Alex this. I can't wait to ask him that. But uh, just super insightful Great stuff. Again, listeners, if you haven't checked out Alex's work uh, on SeedlersDepot.com, please make sure you do so. And then your Twitter handle, handle Alex, is it uh, Alex yeah. underscore Kazora? Yep, at Alex underscore Kazora, K-O-Z-O-R-A. Awesome. And then do you guys have any um, upcoming work on a depot that you want to give a plug for real fast or anything? Um, yeah, just we have a player profiles, draft profiles going up every single day on April 24th. That's a Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'll do a live stream mock draft in conjunction with Walk the Mock. And so they'll have a team of 32, you know, real people, NFL, quote unquote, GMs drafting the first four rounds with trades and did that last year. A lot of fun, had a great turnout, a lot of craziness there. And so now we drafted Najee Harris last year. So maybe we'll go two for two in terms of who they actually take. But that'll be April 24th, 8 p.m. on my YouTube channel. You can just search my name, Alex Kazora, and find it there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Alex, again, much gratitude to you. Thank you so much for coming on. And listeners, thank you for checking out episode number 42 of the Still Study Podcast. Have a great weekend, everyone.